following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm kind of liking this change of the weather. Anybody liking this change of the weather? It's, I know it's awesome. I've been waiting a long time for this. Um, you know, I don't know what you like about this time of the year. I, I like the fact that pretty soon there's going to be snow up in those mountains and I get to do a little snowboarding. I'll be honest with you, I love to snowboard. Any of you guys like to get up in the mountains at all? Get up there in the snow, it's pretty awesome. Um, the thing I love about snowboarding is, uh, it, you know, I got five kids. I, I don't really want to catch those, you know, big jumps or anything and land on my head with five little ones, but I love speed. I love speed. To actually go flying down a hill and carving it up at a high speed, to me it is an absolute a riot. It is a complete blast. I love speed. And the thing about, um, you know, snowboarding, coming down the hill fast, is, is you got this balance. There's this dynamic going on. Uh, the first one is that uh, there's a fine line between pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope and having a blast, and not wrecking and hitting a tree or something. There's this fine line in between the two. Um, one is, is that if you have too much fear, you actually miss out on the whole experience. If you're too conservative you never actually improve and get any better. You never get any further than what you were. So you want to push the envelope. To others, it might appear a little reckless, but to you inside, you know what you can do and where you need to push things and where you shouldn't push things. Everybody knows or should know what that limit is. I would say the same is true with our faith. The same is true with our faith. If you play too conservative if you're too uh, afraid or uh, concerned about safety, if you're overly concerned about safety, you will never push the envelope in your life of, of faith. And I don't know if you've realized by now, but in the word of God, we come to Jesus by faith, we live by faith, God is a rewarder of faith. The whole journey is by faith. Until we see face to face, then you won't need faith anymore. The whole journey is by faith. So as we're following Jesus, as we're representing him, as we're walking out what his will for our lives are, faith is the key. But sometimes that faith is really uh, concerned. Sometimes that faith is uh, overly cautious. Sometimes that faith might be afraid to step out and get into maybe what would be a reckless zone or others might think are reckless. Um, you know, the Bible is full of stories. In fact, in, in uh, Hebrews, in uh, Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 8, thank you, love, um, Hebrews 8, excuse me, Hebrews 11 is an entire chapter filled with people who stepped out in some crazy levels of faith. Some would actually call it reckless faith. They would say their faith was reckless. The people in the story, they knew their faith wasn't reckless. They were just taking steps that others around them were not taking. But to everyone else, it was reckless. When Noah was building the ark, that looked reckless. To everyone, that is reckless. What is he doing? This is ridiculous. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you'll read an entire chapter devoted to people who took steps of faith that to you and I would seem a little reckless, a little beyond the normal, certainly outside the comfort zone. They were not obviously so uh, overwhelmed about the issue of safety. They were willing to go, as Star Trek used to say, where no man has gone before, where no woman has gone before. They were willing to do that. Um, it says in uh, Hebrews 11, uh, verse 8, 
I just want to read that real quick. We're in Acts today, but I want to read this. It says, by faith, Abraham, uh, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham leaves this land of the Ur of the Chaldeans. This is where he lives, him and his family, his people. He packs up and he starts heading across the desert where there's a bunch of strangers, a lot of people who don't like you, who don't know you, who don't speak your language. And yet, he's willing to go to this place and it says he doesn't, he didn't even know where he was going. Can I just tell you, if somebody, if one of your friends said, God's telling me move, I'm going across the country and I don't know where I'm going. You and I would say, that is reckless. That's reckless. Don't do something like that, it's reckless. Did you find out if there's a job there? Did you make the arrangements? Do you got it all figured out? This is the way we normally think about things. I'm just telling you in the Bible, the Christ followers who God used in profound ways, they had a reckless element to their faith. There was something reckless, not reckless in a damaging way, reckless in a way that their eyes are on the prize, other people might not get it, but they keep moving forward and God uses them profoundly. Um, Following God is risky. And in the book of Acts, where we're jumping in today, Acts 17, if you have your Bible, we're looking this through the, uh, through the theme of, of, of risky faith, of, of reckless faith. Um, we're looking at a passage where Paul and his friends are traveling through now the Roman Empire, and they're really, uh, it would seem reckless what they're doing. Uh, and to some, it might be reckless, but to God, it's not reckless. God is blessing, God is rewarding, God is revealing, God is equipping, he's showing up in great, great ways. Uh, So if you have your Bible, you can open up to um, Acts 17. And um, this is where we left off last week. And it starts out saying, um, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So Paul and his friends, they've been stepping out in what appears to be a pretty reckless faith. If you were to follow the narrative up until this point here, uh, they're going places and doing things that most of their peers are not doing. They're stepping out in a reckless level of faith. Um, And it's reckless because they're taking big risk. Not reckless in a bad way, reckless in a a good way. Um, Somebody explained it like this, that if you leap, then you'll grow your wings but first you have to leap. And I think God is like that. When you look at Peter getting out of the boat, it wasn't like God saying, don't worry, I'll make it like concrete for you. He, he just took the step, boom, and began to walk on the promises of God as he walked on the water. Uh, and it is the same in, in our life. Any faith story you have, any story you have about testimony where God stretched your faith or grew your faith, you had to take a step. And it wasn't That decision wasn't driven by uh, concern or safety. It wasn't uh, driven by something conservative. It was kind of risky. And it was kind of reckless in the sense that you go, 
I think this is what you're calling me to as you step out in this risky level of faith. Well, that's what's going on here. And God is rewarding them. And they go from city to city and they're like, God, what's next? And as they're moving on, um, they didn't know what they were going to encounter. From city to city, they did not know what they were going to encounter. It's not like they had an itinerary and a bunch of friends who said, come on and come and meet with us. We have it all planned for you. They simply did not know what they were going to encounter. Just like we don't truly know what we could encounter every day, especially if we stepped out in some reckless faith. Well, they show up in this town, Thessalonica. It's a seaport city of like 200,000 people. But what's so strategic about it, and Paul is always thinking this way, there's a lot of influence. There's people coming and going. It's a hub. And people are coming and going in all kinds of, kinds of different ways. And as he goes to the town, the first place he goes to is the synagogue. It's his custom to go to the synagogue because there's Jewish folks there. And he starts with Jesus. And he's trying to explain to from them, the passage says, uh, the part that most Jewish people still today miss. Um, Jewish people today, if they're sincere about their faith, are missing this enormous component uh, of faith, and that is simply the next thing that needs to happen in the Jewish calendar is Messiah has to come. And the Christians already know he came 2,000 years ago, but the Jews are still waiting for Messiah to come. So the, really the issue is, who is he and when is he going to come? And this is an area where so many Jewish people have missed out because they simply weren't taught this, uh, and today it's, I believe, intentionally overlooked. Uh, if you go to a synagogue today, oftentimes what you will not hear read in the, in the weekly readings on Shabbat, on Sabbath. You will not hear Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 read out loud. Why? Because it goes right to the heart of what Jesus did. And when Jewish people read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, they start going, that sounds like Yahshua. That's exactly the point. So Paul being Jewish, who finally come to acknowledge Jesus, goes right to the synagogue and he starts telling these guys listen my whole focus with you is to understand that the messiah he has to suffer and they didn't know that and he explained to them from scripture it says from the old testament scripture isaiah 53 psalm 22 here he is he's going to come he's going to take away the sins of the world he's going to change he's going to usher in a whole new era old covenant new covenant he's going to do it his name is yahshua jesus he already came we saw him and he died on a cross for the sins of the world and he rose from the grave. And so he is explaining this to them. And, and the other thing about this mission here that is so important, and I think we need to resonate with this. Paul and his friends were absolutely convinced that Jesus is the answer for the entire human condition. For the entire human condition. You look at humanity on earth and you look at every obstacle and shortfall and Every sin, every, everything that's wrong with humanity. Turn on the news. Look at the Middle East. Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the answer for every problem with the human condition. They know that. Paul and his friends know that. And they're thinking, if we bring Jesus the answer to this town where people are going to come and go and travel, then we're going to give away the cure completely freely. And these people are going to take that cure to other places around the world. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. They go to this town. They're reaching people. Every town they go, there's people coming and going. And we're finding out, even in church history, they're like, we don't actually know how the gospel got out there. We don't know which person brought the gospel there. But people are coming and going, sharing the cure for the human condition, which is Jesus. 
and, and the gospel is spreading everywhere. This is amazing. Uh, it moves on in verse five because there's always gonna be some opposition when the kingdom is moving forward. You can expect it. It says in verse five, but other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out of the crowd, out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown in a turmoil. Uh, they, then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Well, the story is moving on. And as Paul and his friends are changing cities, literally, they are, uh, we know from the, the narrative so far that they are serving Jesus, they're representing Jesus, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where I hope we can camp out a little bit today. How can Paul and his friends, followers of Jesus, representing Jesus, serving Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, how come every town they go practically, there's a little bit of a riot? Why is it that there's a riot? Why is it that they're being called (laughs) troublemakers? They're called troublemakers. This is what the town is calling them. They didn't come and make trouble. They're not knocking things down and pushing into people. They're not making trouble. They're not yelling at people. They are loving people. They are sharing Jesus. They're laying hands on the sick. They're doing what the kingdom of God ought to be about. They're simply living followers of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit and yet they're being called troublemakers and it says that they're causing trouble all over the world. Why is that? Why are they saying that about these guys? Because they were causing trouble. They were causing trouble but not trouble in a bad way, trouble in a good way, trouble for people who don't want change, trouble for people who wanna stay in darkness, trouble for people who wanna stay in bondage, trouble for cities that refuse to budge and allow a move of God in any kind of way. Yes, they were in fact causing trouble, filled with the Holy Spirit, they were in fact troublemakers, just like God is calling you and I to be troublemakers in a good way. I'll tell you, we can't be troublemakers and we can't be world changers if we're afraid to stir the water. If we're afraid we're going to disrupt something, we're afraid somebody might get a little offended, if we're afraid someone's going to get bent out of shape, we can't be afraid of that. And I'm not talking obnoxious, I'm talking about the love of God manifest through his people in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, just like in the book of Acts, nothing weird, nothing off base, but trusting God and being able to step out in areas that are a little reckless that are a little beyond the comfort zone, just like these guys are doing. Uh, You know, that's what it takes to be a world changer. In fact, you can't be a world changer unless you cause some trouble. There's gonna be some trouble stirred up. Not like you meant to start trouble. Not like you intended to do anything bad or wrong. I'm not insinuating that or suggesting that. I'm saying as you serve God, two worlds are gonna collide. Two worlds are gonna collide. Just like a nuclear physicist looking at planets and going, yeah, these ones are on an orbit and it looks like they're gonna, yeah, two worlds are gonna collide. And we saw that first modeled with Jesus the Christ, the son of God who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. When he got with the religious leaders in Rome, there, there was a collide. Was there not a clash? 
Do, do you not see in the narrative of scriptures constant clash going on with the religious leaders and with Jesus? And then later on at the end with the Roman Empire and Jesus? Why? He caused trouble. Not intentionally. He didn't do anything wrong. He never sinned. Yet it was viewed as trouble. These guys are correct in Thessalonica to say the followers of Jesus, they're causing trouble all over the world. Again, not in a bad way. They are loving people too much. And to some, that's trouble. They are praying for people too much. And for some, that's viewed as trouble. They're looked at as troublemakers right here. You can go through history and you will see that anybody who was a world changer had to start a little trouble. Not intentionally and not in a bad way. Jesus, you look at Paul, he's right here in the mix. They're calling him troublemakers. You look even the history of our nation. You look at George Washington, for example. George Washington, he didn't start out to start trouble. He just said, this is completely wrong and we have to have a representative something government because this is wrong here and I know it's gonna get a little disruptive. We don't want that, but it might go that way. And then the rest is history. We're sitting here today in America because somebody's bold move that got a little reckless, not intentionally, got a little reckless and here we are today. All through history, Abraham Lincoln, think about his role. He's like, great, I get to be the president that has to deal with a nation cut in half. (laughs) How come no one after me or before me did that? How come that's my job? They called him praying Abe because Abe would get on his knees and get on his face and cry out to the living God and say, I don't know how to do this, but you put me here and show me how. And I believe God said, Abe, this might be a little difficult, but they might look at you like a troublemaker. They might call you a troublemaker, but what's going on in the South is wrong and it's got to change and it's going to take a little disruption. It'll be a holy disruption and there's going to be some fallout But in the big picture, it's going to be better. And he took steps that others, I don't think, would have the backbone to take. Because being a troublemaker, you step out in faith, but the future benefit is for all of us. It's for the kingdom of God. You know, you can go through history and look at that. You look at Martin Luther King Jr., who comes along in a time, peaceful. He didn't do anything abrupt, abrasive, or anything. But he said, this is wrong. And taking steps and taking a stance, he was viewed as a troublemaker. He wasn't a troublemaker, but he's viewed as a troublemaker. And so it is with, I believe, anybody who has a love for God and walks in faith that is a little reckless, it might seem to others, they might look at you too as a troublemaker. I think the world ought to look at us as troublemakers, not in a bad way, but we love too much. We give too much. We serve too much. We're changing the status quo. That's right, because it's the life of God in us. We're not our own. We were bought with a price. That's what's going on in this story right now. When sons and daughters are willing to shake up a city like the Thessalonians did, that's where when there's darkness, they bring light. Where there's hatred, they bring love. Where there's sadness, they bring joy. Where there's bondage, they bring liberation. And where there's death, they bring life. But it takes a faith that is so intense that your reputation gets to be known everywhere. And that's what's going on in the story. It's an intense faith. It's not a passive faith. It's not like, I don't want to disrupt. I'll just walk around it. Don't want to stir the water. Don't want to make sure anybody's uh, shaken in any kind of way. I would never want to do that. You ever see Jesus roll into a town like that? <laughs> I just want to make sure no one's disrupted here. Will, will my message be disrupted with you? Because if you want, you can vote. If you don't want me to call, I'll be quiet. Would you prefer that? You know what a city would say? Yes, we'd prefer that. Okay, sorry, never mind. Go to the next town. No, 
The kingdom of God has come. It is upon you. And now you're on notice. And what does God want from us? That we all turn and follow him because he's our maker, the lover of our soul. And now you're on notice. Choose this day yourself who you're going to serve. And he'd go on to another town and he proclaimed the good news and it was evidenced with the signs and the power of God. That's what the people of God do. Not afraid or be so conservative or being disruptive in any kind of way. It takes faith that is intense. And then our reputation is known as a people with some pretty intense faith. Some might view that as a troublemaker. But really what it is, it's risky faith. Some might call it reckless. God won't call it reckless, but it will look reckless. But that is, in fact, what it takes to take a city and get it back on its feet again. Get a city back on its feet again. That's what's happening in this passage right here. And I don't know if you're ready to turn the world upside down for Jesus, but it will take our faith engaging our culture with a level of intensity. It will be a level of intensity, and there's really no way around that intensity. We can't be afraid of rocking the boat. We can't be afraid of stirring the waters. It's time to get a little reckless in a good way, not breaking things, but partnering with Jesus to restore things. Jesus is the restorer of the breach. Everything Jesus touched, he restored. People's lives, people's hearts, people's souls, and when we partner with him, we engage a culture in a way that might seem reckless to others, but is incredibly powerful It's faith that's intense, partnering with Jesus. I agree that Jesus is the cure for the entire human condition. I want to ask you that question. I don't know if you agree with that statement, that Jesus is the cure for the entire human condition. Because if you believe he is, you have an entirely different way you live your life and represent him. If you don't really believe that, You'll probably back down and walk around things. And I believe Jesus is the cure for the human condition. When you look at the the history of, of humanity, you see no evolution of the human soul. You see no evolution of our thought, our sin nature. You see no evolution of people. Our statistics are going the opposite way of any a soul evolving anywhere. The fallout of the human nature and the choices that people make. And the things that people go through, Jesus is in fact the cure. He is the answer. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the vine. He's living water. He's the alpha, the omega, the first and the last. He's all of the above. He's the great physician. He, you know, he's the lover of our soul and, and on and on and on. He is the cure for the human condition. But if you really, really believe that, then we shouldn't be overly cautious on how we live for him or what we walk around or where we duck and where we bow out. Because if we live our faith ultra-conservatively, we're never going to get to go on the mission and, the, and, and, the, and the, be a trailblazer in the areas. You know God has things in your life to do. The, the Bible says that God has things orchestrated from the foundations of the world for you and I to walk out. There are works already written in God's book for you and I to walk these things out. It's already written down. Will we partner with God on that journey and do it, or will we not is really the question. And the difference, I believe, is not going to be on God's end. God wants to do these things. The difference is going to be, will you and I be passive and conservative and afraid, and will fear drive our decisions in what we do, or will we step out and get a little more reckless? Will our faith get a little more intense, where we actually believe what God's word says, and we step out on it? Because if we do, then we're going to have some stories to tell, because there's going to be some lives changing around you. There's going to be have, having family members change around you, people in your workplace changing. God's going to start changing some stuff because Jesus is, in fact, 
uh, the cure for the human condition. Uh, I love this statement that Jesus said in Matthew 11. He talked about John the Baptist and said there was no greater man born among women when he said this about John the Baptist. This was a tribute to John the Baptist. And in the context of that, this is what he said. He said, from the time, from John the Baptist until now, uh, the kingdom has been forcefully advancing. Say forcefully advancing. Forcefully advancing. John the Baptist was no pansy. Would you agree with me? Right? This guy was hardcore. He had a lot of love, but he was hardcore. Um, John the Baptist, man, he was just raw. He's out there like all growing this funky beard, weird stuff, eating locusts, wild honey, wrapped up in some animal skin, coming out there looking like some caveman, you know, just all, you know, repent. But guess what? The power of God was on him in such a way. He wasn't tiptoeing around, not offending people. He was being bold for the glory of God. The power of God came on him in such a way that everyone realized that message is from God. He's a pro- everybody knew this is a prophet in our midst speaking and his message is, Messiah is coming quick, get ready. Make some straight paths, he's coming, he's coming really soon. And people are going out there to prepare their heart and get ready. But when you think of John the Baptist, Jesus is saying this about him, from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, forcefully advancing, not passively, not overly cautious, not tiptoeing, forcefully advancing. And in the Greek, uh, what that forcefully advancing refers to is to press on or to press in energetically with force. And that's what it takes, I believe, if you want God to use you as a world changer in any kind of way. Maybe not the whole world, but in your world. In your world where you live and where you commute and the people you run into and your family, friends, people who live. If, if, If you want God to use you as a world changer. And I believe God wants to use you as a world changer. He says you're the salt of the earth. He says you're the light of the world. So he wants to use us all as world changers, but it takes this kind of forcefully advancing, not knocking into people, not disrespectful, not uh, abrasive and harsh, but loving and extending and taking steps of faith that others don't understand, that others might think are a little bit reckless, that are outside the norm. They're not decisions that are all conservative and driven by fear. They're saying, I'm going to step out, and when I do, trust God's going to give me the wings. That's the kind of faith that that he rewards right here. Um, Here's the thing about it, guys. We have, unequivocally, the greatest message on planet Earth. We have it. We have the greatest message on the planet. We have the cure for the human condition. We have the cure for the human condition. And... We have the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit to equip and able and to carry out that we don't have to wing this thing and try it on our own strength. That's what the word says. Not by strength or might, but by the power of my spirit, says the Lord. God's like, don't worry when my spirit comes. He's gonna show you what to do. He's gonna help you. He's gonna lead you. He's gonna guide you. He's gonna speak to you. He's gonna show you. He's gonna do all these things and he has gifts for you. It's God's gonna do these things if you're, if you're ready to step out in faith. This is God's promise to the New Testament church. So we got the greatest message. We have the cure for the human condition. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit. So now what are we going to do? What do we do with that? We tiptoe. Sorry, sorry, excuse me, pardon me. Or do we step out in faith in areas and dimensions and creative ways that God would put on your heart that you can represent him and your faith would be on display engaging a culture with some significant passion 
some display. I, I don't you know, purport to know what area of that life it is for you that that display is needed, but I'm just telling you, God's got you in circles and in places that only you in the mix, in that matrix of things in your life can be the salt and the light. Only you, God put you there. You're wonderfully and fearfully made. You're the one representing him. You're in that place and his spirit wants to do these things in your, in your life. Um, speaking of dynamite, um, there's a story of a, a fisherman and he, uh, he used to come in all the time with a big boatload of fish. And none of the other fishermen could even hardly catch any. And they always wondered, how's this guy coming in with a full boatload of fish? So one day the fishing warden disguised himself as a regular fisherman. And he asked the guy, hey, do you, you mind if I go out fishing with you? The guy says, yeah, sure, jump in. So they go out all the way around the backside of the lake in some little area where no one, where no one can see him or hear him their way back there. And the, uh, the, the game warden, the fishing warden is realizing, wait a second, this guy doesn't even have a fishing pole. All he has is a tackle box and one of those little nets. The fishing warden's like, what's this guy doing? So finally they get to the other side and this fisherman, he opens up his tackle box, he grabs a stick of dynamite, he lights it, he throws it into the water, boom! And all of a sudden a bunch of fish float to the top. So he just goes and scoops them up and puts them in the boat. And the warden's like, I can't believe this. So the warden turns around, proudly pulls out his badge and says, aha, I caught you. And the fisherman very calmly reaches over into his tackle box, takes out another stick of dynamite, lights it, hands it to the warden, says, are you going to just sit there or are you going to enjoin me in fishing? Some of you guys will get that at lunchtime. You'll get that at lunchtime over some fish tacos. Um, what are you going to do? You're going to join him in fishing. Okay, I had to give you the punchline. <laughs> you know, in some ways, I think God's saying the same thing to us. Are you going to just sit there? Are you going to join me in fishing? I really do. Are we going to join him in this mission? Um, because when we start to look at our life not focused on ourselves and start looking out through the, through the heart and the eyes of God, everything changes. Everything changes. When our eyes are focused on my life, my this, my that, that that's where we start to get very narcissistic. Our whole society is, it's very natural. It has an overflow effect like waves all over us. Every commercial is you, you deserve, you, you, you. And the Bible says I'm not my own. The message of the word is a little different. It's not who I am, it's whose I am. The, the message of the word has a different thing regarding identity, but the beauty is we're blood-bought sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have a new identity. And so the reality is I, I think there is a call um, that when we have the greatest message in the world, when we have the cure for the human condition, when we have the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit, are we just gonna sit there or start fishing? That's a, a valid question. Um, the, the, the passage, just to explain what happened in this, they were called troublemakers. They said they're causing trouble. And I think it's important to look at why there was trouble. Why was there trouble in Thessalonica? Uh, there, was, there was trouble because there was a great divide. And it says right in the text what the issue was. Uh, the culture that they were in, there was a great divide. There's a lot of people coming to faith and there's a lot of people getting mad and angry. That's what was going on 2,000 years ago. Um, and it says why. They were yelling out the reason. The, the reason it says in the text is, we have one king, Caesar. 
But they say the king is Jesus. Is the king Caesar or is the king Jesus? It's a valid question because there's a great divide right there. If Caesar is the king, meaning the representative form of government or society or the leadership or whatever, if that's the king who decides everything in your life or is it King Jesus who does it, there's two different worlds. One is the kingdom of this world. One is the kingdom of God. And the Bible says we're not of this world. We're in it, but not of it. So we respect authorities. We pray for authorities. The word of God tells us to do all these things that God allows authorities to be in place, all these things. However, who's your king? Is Caesar your king or is Jesus your king? Because this is the difference where the great divide is. Why? Because people start living their life based on the kingship of Jesus and others live their life based on the kingship of the world, of Caesar. That's what's going on in the passage. Our mind will either be set on one kingdom or the other. Jesus said, you can't have two masters. (laughs) You can't have two. Who is the master? Who is the driving master? one in your life? Who is the one that you and I are aimed at and pointed to and and that we love and loves us and that we're submitted to? I gotta be honest with you. When you look at the society of Thessalonica and our society, society, you have people in either camp. It's system of the world or the system of God. Which one of the two kingdoms? And I'll be honest with you, Caesar doesn't have the answers and Caesar doesn't have the cure for the human condition. But Jesus does. He is the cure for the human condition and he has the answers. And even in our society, the voices, like in this story, they're yelling, is it Jesus or is it Caesar? Who's the king? We say Caesar, we say Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, but the voices are getting louder today, are they not? You guys see that? The voices are getting louder today. It's time for the called out ones which is what the church is. We are the church. The word in Greek is ekklesia. We're the called out ones. It's time for the called out ones to be the called out ones, family. It's time for us to be the called out ones. Love our way through stuff in reckless faith. Love people, share with people, pray for people, step out in faith. Somebody needs prayer and you're like, this isn't really me. It's time for it to be you, to walk across the aisle and say, can I pray for you and put your hands on people and begin to pray for them because you're the only one representing Jesus in their circle remotely. I talked to a guy the other day. He had family in the hospital. His, his family doesn't go to church. They have a, um, you know, a pseudo-faith background, but no one is remotely in the faith. And I said, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know what to do. I said, well, you need to get the family over that hospital bed and pray for them. He's like, me? Who else is going to do it? Who else is going to do it in your family? You believe in God, right? Yeah, I believe. Maybe nobody else does. Someone's got to represent. Who's it going to be? And he just started bawling, crying. He's like a construction worker. Ball and crying, he's like, you're right. It's me, it's me, it's gotta be me. Yes, it's gotta be us, guys. Because we're the world changers. I mean, at least through the power of God, not in our own self. Someone's gotta step up. Someone's gotta get a little reckless. The family might go, who are you to be doing that? Or why are you doing that? Uh, who cares? Get reckless and take steps that others might not get. Um, this is really, really important. So in this passage, um, you know, the town got louder and louder. And many people accepted Christ, but the town, they chased Paul and Silas and his friends away. They chased them out of town. And so Paul ends up having to run, you know, reaches him for Christ, says, I can't stick around and help you grow. I got to go, but I'm going to write to you soon. And sure enough, he writes 1 Thessalonians, one of the first books of the Bible. He writes it in a, just about a month or so later. How are you guys doing? I had to get out of town quick. Are you guys good? Are you growing? And it's great. He starts, and we have it in our Bible today. But, um, you know, in closing, 
Um, in fact, if the worship team come up, I just wanted to share this just a little snapshot I realized the other day. Um, at our house, we have this cat. Um, you know, we moved in about a year and a half ago, and um, you know, in escrow, when you when you buy something, it has the rules. The cat was not in the escrow. Okay? <laughs> Nowhere in the documents did it say cat. We didn't know about a cat, but we get there and there's this cat. Uh, it's a big cat. It's a friendly cat. It's really cool. It's an outside cat. But we love this cat, and we feed this cat. We take care of this cat. Again, very cool cat. Um, and so, uh, you know, the only problem is um, every once in a while lately, I get up at four in the morning to some really wretched scream, and it's one of those cat fights, right? You've heard that scream, middle of the night. The only problem is I only hear one cat crying out. So I get up at four in the morning and I run outside to go see where it is and, and I see the cat that was causing the problem is a littler cat. And, and our big cat is so nice and kind and gentle and gentle that doesn't do anything back. It just kind of sits there. And it's a big cat. It's got its claws. It totally could. It just, it just doesn't. And I go out there to defend the, our cat. I chase that little cat away and everything's good for a few days, but, but it happens again. It happened the other night. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, why is this big, strong cat who is bigger and stronger and can totally defend itself, why is it not doing what it ought to be doing? And I felt the Lord say the answer is because uh, he's been domesticated a little too long. He's been domesticated too long. Since he's been domesticated and tame for too long, he forgot how to handle himself out in the wild out in the wild. And I sense that's the same for us too as believers. That sometimes, church family, we, we've been domesticated a little too long. And because we've been domesticated a little too long, we forgot how to handle ourselves out in the wild. It, when you come to faith in the beginning, along your journey, you know all about the wild. You come out of the wild, you get it. You know how to navigate the wild. You, you know what you want and you know what you don't want when you meet Jesus, but you're very familiar. But over time, over time, we tend to get more secure. We tend to get a little more conservative. This is my observation. We tend to get a little more domesticated. And I believe God is saying he wants to move us from domesticated to a little reckless, from tame to a little bit wild, from passive to a little bit passionate in our displays of faith. And what that's going to look like. And I don't know about you, but I, I see the voices getting louder and louder and louder. The voices are getting louder. A gentleman, a uh, pastor who I got to sit under for a leadership, uh, a day of leadership um, a few years back. I, um, great guy, had great stories. God's using him powerfully, doing great things in, in Houston. Um, powerful ministry, great testimonies of great things. I turned on the TV the other night when I was going to bed and I saw the news and I, I see him on the news. I'm like, I know that guy. And it says his name. I'm like, what's he on the news for? And I listen. Well, in his town, the voices are getting louder and louder. Remember I said the voices are getting louder? Caesar's the king. No, Jesus is the king. No, Caesar's the king. No, Jesus is the king. Well, the voices got so loud in his town that the mayor of Houston decided to issue subpoenas to the churches and said, hand over every sermon you got. Hand them over. I want your videos. I want your sermons. I want every email you sent. And I want every one of your text messages by law. 
hand him over. That's the mayor, the mayor of a city in Houston. And we're protected by First Amendment right, freedom of speech, just like you are, just like Martin Luther King was, just like everybody in history is. But you know what I see for the first time in this nation's history? The voices are getting louder. Caesar, King Jesus, King Caesar, no King Jesus. And I'm telling you, this is not a time for you and I to be passive. This is not a time to put our head in the ground or be an ostrich. This is not a time to tiptoe and be gentle that we don't hurt. You stand for who is your love. God is the lover of your soul. You stand on what you know is truth. You don't knock people over. You don't disrespect. We don't be unkind. We love our way through this thing. But family, please, if your faith isn't passionate, if your faith isn't a little reckless, today is the call. God is calling you to get a little reckless. God is calling you to, tell, to, 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 to let you know that if you're conservative in your, conservative in your faith, you're gonna miss out on the, on the whole display of what it could be. I really believe that's what God is saying to his church today. And I just wanna close in prayer, ask God to seal some things in our heart. Uh, our worship team is gonna be coming to the front to pray for any need or burden or request you have. Uh, but I really do wanna ask God to do some things in our heart uh, that would bring us from a tame faith to one that's a little reckless, the one that steps out in in areas that others aren't gonna understand, they're not gonna get, but God gets it, and his spirit will be with you and go with you. And so, mighty God, we just ask, Lord God, uh, in this area, Lord God, that you would move uh, in our lives, God, from um, that ultra-conservative, maybe fear-based security, God, that we would not be driven by security. We are secure in Christ Uh, Our our security in you won't perish or fade or spoil or go away. We are secure in you, but I pray our display of faith for you and with you in this world where to many Caesar is the king, but we say, no, you are the king, King Jesus. And you put the governing bodies in place and we honor them and we abide and we pray for them. But the reality, you are the king. And you are the one alone that every knee will bow and tongue confess. You alone. And Lord, because of that, I just pray you begin to show us in our lives, everyone in this room, I pray you speak individually, God, to every heart and soul here, God, that, that you would speak to the area, even right now, God, where you're calling us to take that step of faith that might seem a little reckless. We can't calculate it very well. We can't be sure. We can't be certain Uh, We don't know with distinction, but you're gonna reward when we take these steps. You will meet us there, God. I just pray you would shake us in a good way, Lord, that we would come of age, so to speak, Lord. We're living at a time uh, where you wanna pour out your spirit and do things. You're looking for a faithful remnant of people uh, who who love you and have not forgotten that you alone are the king, uh, that we are not of this world, God. We're citizens of heaven representing you first and foremost. We're gonna spend eternity with you, God. And Lord, I just pray that we represent you well. So I just pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would begin to stir and bring to remembrance as you stir hearts, speak to hearts this morning in the areas that you're calling us to greater faith. We love you, God. We love you, mighty King. Show us your way and lead us with mercy, God. We will follow you. We know you have greater things, Lord. These aren't disruptive things to us, but others along the way, when they go from darkness to light, their life will be disrupted in a good way. So Lord, continue to do profound things. We love you. Thank you. We ask these things in in Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. 
to hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.